Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. But before you can beat my guest, you need to meet my guest. So let's give a warm welcome to today's guest, Eugene Hong. Eugene, how are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. Uh, Eugene, uh, what brings you to the hot seat here today? Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your trivia history, uh, history of personal uh, life experience, whatever you feel willing to share. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, so my name is Eugene Hung, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area with my wife and two small kids. Uh, I was trained as a computer programmer, but I have saved very aggressively, and now I am a stay-at-home dad and have plenty of time for my outside interests, which include trivia, bridge, and fantasy sports. Ah, yes, fantasy sports. How how is your fantasy football team doing this year? I hope you didn't draft yeah. Le'Veon. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I took a break from fantasy football this year. I mostly concentrate on fantasy baseball. But I always have a talent for picking the one running back who goes down for the year. So I'm pretty sure I would have drafted Le'Veon this year if I had been in a league. Last year, I took uh, the Arizona running back with David Johnson. So, you know, I'm really good at this sort of thing. Yeah, well, okay. Well, uh, I'll be sure to uh, check in with you before I write my uh, preseason predictions next season. <laughs> Adjust my rankings accordingly. Uh, hopefully, you will not be... Uh, making too many uh, missteps here, and you'll select the proper wagers. Here's how the game works, Eugene. There are going to be four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I'll let you know what the categories in order will be for that round. Before I read each question, you'll get to lock in how many points you wish each question to be worth. Get it right. You get the points. It is just that simple. And there's also going to be a halftime bonus worth 10 points. Uh, at the end of the game, we'll feel we call the confidence question, which will be your last chance to try and improve your final score. But I will explain all of that when we get there. We cannot get there until we draft uh, the running back whose leg is about to be shattered in 53 pieces. So, <laughs> Eugene, are you ready to go? Ready as ever. In round one, as always, the point values available to you are one, three, five, and seven. And here are the categories that we'll be using for round one. We're going to kick things off with... Audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. We're going to follow it up with music. Move along to what comes next, and we are going to wrap up round one with science. But first things first, audio hodgepodge. How much would you like to wager? I think I'll try. I think I'll try three. Three points on audio hodgepodge. Excellent. All right. Here's how audio hodgepodge works. I'm going to read you a question. After I read said question, I'm going to play a little clip for you. Hopefully, when you're done listening to the clip. You will be able to give me the correct answer to the question. That's usually what we aim for here. Uh, here is the question. First, listen to the following clip from Shondaland and tell me what 5th century man's words are being updated to modern times by the speaker. Okay, uh, let me just change the default back to... Sure. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Okay, I listened to the clip. So. Okay, so uh, again, the question, uh, what 5th century man's words are being updated uh, by the speaker? I solemnly pledge to consecrate my life to the service of humanity. I will give to my teachers the respect and gratitude that is their due. I will practice my profession with conscience and dignity. The health of my patients will be my number one consideration. I will respect the secrets that are confided in me. All right, so fifth century, I think I have a pretty good idea about this one. There's a lot of talking about patience and health, and it sounds like the sort of oath that one might be taking before engaging on one's profession of ministering to the health. And, uh, so I believe we're talking about Hippocrates. This is the Hippocratic Oath. So that's my answer. Hippocrates is your answer. <laughs> Although if uh, if Bill and Ted were uh, finding this person in their time machine, they might call him Hippocrates. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> question was from the uh, Shonda Rhyme show Grey's Anatomy. That is Dr. Weber, played by James Pickens Jr., 
basically reminding his staff of the Hippocratic Oath. Hippocrates is correct. Three points for you, sir. Well done. Easy peasy. So far. Yeah, interestingly enough, the uh, the line that most people uh, kind of relate to the Hippocratic Oath, which is, you know, first, do no harm, is actually not in the oath at all. Uh, it's just kind of something that was tagged on later on in uh, the 1860s. But, you know, if anyone's doing a, a, a TV show or movie, they usually start with that. And uh, you can tell that they didn't actually do their research. Or they're just pandering to the masses. Yeah, sure. my family does not mean pandering to. See, <laughs> uh, I tell you, that one never gets old except to everyone. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Three points. You're on the board. And before we continue on here, uh, we are. Uh, I have been hearing a little bit of uh, your kids in the background. Do you want to let everybody know who our special guest stars are, just in case? Uh... <laughs> sure. Well, um, the elder kid is Beatrice. She's four, very proudly four years old. And the younger one is named Arthur, and he just turned two. Excellent. I'm sure in about 15 years, when the show is really in its heyday, they'll both be welcome in the hot seat as well. <laughs> Boy, do I have lofty goals. Anyway, well, hello, you two. Uh, thank you for uh, joining our podcast. <laughs> We're going to move along, though, Eugene. Music is up next. You have the one, you have the five, and you have the seven. I would like to make this one, please. One point. Uh, I have a feeling you're one of these, no pop culture, please? <laughs> no pop culture, please. <laughs> but well, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Yeah, I I can't make that promise, but who knows? Maybe uh, this one will land in your wheelhouse. Here is your one-point music question. Doctor and the Medics was a glam rock band who had a 1986 hit single with what cover song originally recorded by Norman Greenbaum? Norman Greenbaum. That sounds sort of familiar. So you're asking me to identify the single of a glam rock band. Fortunately, I don't really listen to music after 1940. So uh, <laughs> I just have vague memories associated with, you know, random names like Stairway to Heaven and uh, uh, Hey Jude and things like that. But I actually never listened to any of these. Anyway, I'm pre pretty much out to sea on this, which is why I gave this one point. I cannot think of anything beyond George Burns and the Sunshine Boys. So I'm just going to go ahead and say the Sunshine Boys. The Sunshine Boys, uh, actually a fine movie uh, with Mr. George Burns. I believe, uh, what is that? Elderly senior citizen uh, heist film, if, if memory serves. It's been a long time since... Uh... Well, he was God, and that, that's about all I know. Good night, Gracie. But uh, no, uh, Norman Greenbaum was uh, this guy's real name. wasn't uh, a pseudonym or uh, something that was changed later on. He had a hit way back in the day, uh, in the 60s, with this song. It was a folksy little ditty. And then Doctor and the Medics kind of remade it in 1986. You were kind of on the right track when you said Stairway to Heaven. Uh, this is a song called Spirit in the Sky. Ah. Okay. Going up to the spirit in the sky to the sky. Anyway, yeah, the Doctor of the Medics was this weird uh, glam rock group. They they had a hit with that, and they had a minor hit with a cover of Elvis's uh, "Burning Love." But uh, they, they were they were just one of those groups. I I, don't, I couldn't tell you an original song of theirs at all. But the, when they, when they covered, they they did okay. So right. Well, <laughs> hopefully, I'll do better on some of the other questions. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna get one wrong. Get the one pointer wrong. So, of course, <laughs> no worries there. We are going to move along to what comes next. Well, what comes next? What comes next comes next. And your wager will have to be either five or seven points. Your science questions can be pretty tough. So, I think I'm going to give it the seven. Here is your seven point. What comes next question? Ernie Els, 2012. Patrick Harrington, 2008. Tiger Woods, 2005. Who? in 1993 well these are all golfers and you have a specific year associated with them so they must have done something interesting in that year unfortunately i don't follow golf that closely to know Let's see 2005 for tiger woods that's a little after when he started so he either it has it may have something it probably has something to do with the grand slam um events of golf the british open the u.s open the pga and the masters but I'm not sure which one or what it's referring to. I'm pretty sure none of, it's not referring to winning the actual Grand Slam. It could also be being number one on the PGA Tour. So 1993, who was around that time? Fred Couples, Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas. It's probably one of those three, but I'm really not that deep into golf, even though I sound somewhat knowledgeable about it. So it would pretty much have to be a guess here. I think Jack Nicholas was a little earlier than 1993. I know he did his 18th 
major, I think in the 80s. So maybe this is Watson's last major. Or could, I mean, I know he won one really late in his career. So I'm going to have to guess here. Well, I guess I could flip the coin and see what happens. <laughs> Am I allowed to use the coin? <laughs> you can certainly use the coin, but you have to you know, put the coin down, then pick the ball up, and then put the ball back down. <laughs> All right. I think I'm going to go with Watson. I'll say Watson. Watson, which of course uh, would, I mean, I conceivably uh, throw Bubba Watson into the mix as well. Very clever what you're doing there. <laughs> well, that's a little early for him. You you got half the battle here is recognizing that these are all golfers, although, you know, Tiger Woods, I think most people do know is a golfer. Er- Ernie Alls and Patrick Harrington, certainly not necessarily as household names. So, well, I mean, Maybe in South Africa, Ernie Els is a household name. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. So this is indeed the years are important. It is the year that these golfers won the Open for the second time. Of course, the Open, for those of you out there who are not golf fans, that means the British Open. But you don't call it the British Open. You just call it the Open. So uh, those are the years they won the Open for the second time. If you had linked back to the previous question where we were talking about Norman Greenbaum, that might have triggered you into stating the correct answer which is the shark himself greg, greg norman. norman ah oops <laughs> like i said sometimes the, the the answer is staring you right in the face but if you don't make the link you don't make the link and if you don't make it on the links then you retire from golf <laughs> it kill me sometimes or you uh, um become infamous for it like vanderbilt so, <laughs> oh, yeah. in the drink. Uh, I need yes. some drinks. Yes. Uh, all right. We are going to move along very, very quickly here. Uh, one question left around one. It is science. It is going to be worth five points. You uh, announced your trepidation already, but uh, let's see how you do. Are you ready for your five point science question, sir? I am. All right. Good luck. And here we go. Sharks are one of four types of elasmobronchi, meaning that they have no bones and no swim bladders. Name any of the other three members of this underwater subclass. Woo! Animals. I haven't studied animals since I was in high school. So, elasmobronchi. Bronchi is bronchitis. It has to do with lungs. Elasmo sounds like elastic, but maybe they have flexible lungs. So you want me to name one of the other three types of animals that are in this class let's see what can there be well there are seahorses there are crabs there are octopi or octopuses or i don't remember what the plural is but i remember that's a famous kind of trivia question octopeople uh, octopeople mm, uh, squid let's see well jellyfish is the obvious no bones but no swim bladders so i'm thinking something squishy like jellyfish or squid yeah, I've never really cared that much for animals. I'm not really an animal person. I'm more a machine person. But, <laughs> yeah. So the stay-at-home father says he never really cares so much for animals. Well, thank goodness people are not considered animals for this. <laughs> yes. I like. I care about people, obviously. I'm just talking about animals. So, all right. I, those are also eels. Oh, eels have, do they have swim bladders? No idea. I am going to go with eels. Eels is your answer. The elasmobronchi, which is just a fun, fun little thing to say, uh, sounds like something that the Ghostbusters would be after. Slimer, that elasmobronchi, get him! Don't cross the streams, don't fall in the stream because the shark will eat you. Uh, uh, yeah, so they are basically recognized for being cartilaginous creatures. Uh, so it's all cartilage, no bone, and they are recognizable because they have, like sharks, those kind of rows of gills that kind of like sit at the top of because uh, that's how they breathe uh not through a bladder but through these gill-like openings on the top and so the uh if you can envision sea creatures who may look like that and have those like rows of gills then perhaps you would be more inclined to say one of the correct answers which are rays skates and sawfish oh good so i didn't wasn't even considering any of them was not considering any of them no <laughs> that's great i feel much better now I'd rather be completely ignorant. So, yeah, be- better better to have got it completely wrong than have flipped the coin and uh, picked the wrong side. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, not a complete loss in round one. You did get a three point question right, which gives you three points on the board. Uh, how are you feeling now that one round though is under your belt, and uh, you can uh, will be, will there be smooth sailing or uh, 
air free swimming ahead i don't know well actually i was hoping for a bad round one because that's the round where there the fewest points are given so um and i'm happy to see that music and audio are out of the way even though i got the audio question but okay so, <laughs> so i'm yeah. hoping for a smoother sailing for going forward Excellent, excellent. Well, let's let's keep going forward. Keep on swimming, keep on swimming, keep on swimming. Uh, point values available to you are two, four, six, and eight in this round. Uh, round two's categories are as follows. We're going to kick things off with sports, follow it up with who done it, move along to wiggle room, our numbers category, and wrap up the first half and round two with literature. Two, four, six, or eight. Who do we appreciate? Eugene, Eugene, sports. How much, sir? Four, please. Four points. Sports question. This is a bit of a harder one to be sure, but there's a chance you might might be able to reason it out. We shall see. <laughs> Here's your sports question. This player, who was the first ever hitter to swing a bat for the Tampa Bay Rays, at the time known as the Devil Rays, is also the only man to have played 200 games with Tampa Bay, Colorado, and Arizona. In July 2006, he was released by the Reds and ultimately retired. Answer this cue. And I'll give you the points. Yes, I actually thought you were going to lead into it with a raise question because that was the only thing I could think of. And I'm a big baseball fan. All right. So you got a so fighting I said, chance. I've got a fighting chance. And I played fantasy baseball for 20 years. So I know all the players. The problem is they all blur. Either this guy is fairly obscure and only famous to Tampa Bay fans, or he's someone a little more famous. Okay, I have some memory about some guy named Kevin Stalker. I don't know who that is why i thought about him but <laughs> then let's see you know kevin stalker i think i now remember is traded for bobby abreu mcgriff did he go to colorado colorado went to colorado obviously but he wouldn't be a leadoff hitter any type anyway carl crawford the quintessential early ray i think his career lasted a little longer than that you know it went down really fast after he left yeah i'm gonna go with the big cat andres colorado Andres Galarraga is your answer. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm very impressed with your knowledge of uh, obscure and not so obscure fantasy baseball names. Dancing all around uh, that original roster there, uh, the Rays entered the league on March 31st, 1998 was their first game. And you are correct in that they did drafted Bobby Abreu in the expansion draft, but then traded him before they played to uh, Philadelphia and got uh, Kevin Stocker in that deal. However, he did not lead off. The, the, the clue was in the way I asked the question. I told you to answer the cue, and I said that this player was released. They often would say on SportsCenter, release McCracken! Ah. A player named Quentin McCracken. Yes, I know. I remember him now. Played for all three teams. Uh, he did ground out in his first at-bat for the Rays, but did later score the team's first run when Wade Boggs homered uh, behind him. Didn't get it right, but uh, you did take a nice little, uh, much longer than you'll hear in this episode, uh, stroll down memory lane, and uh, I enjoyed it, uh, if, if no, nothing else. So, well done on the memory, uh, not well done on the points. You know, he's very easy to conflate with uh, Voros McQuacken, right? Because he came out with uh, dips around that time. So Absolutely. Between uh, Voros McCracken and uh, Tom Tango, you and I are possibly the only two people listening who understand who either of those guys are. Uh, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> uh, who done it is next. Uh, you have the two, you have the six, and you have the eight. Let's go eight. Eight points. Here we go. He was born in Kent in the UK as Quentin Leo Cook, but has the Guinness World Record for the most top 40 hits under different aliases, including Beats International, Freak Power, and Pizza Man. By what pseudonym has he earned the most praise? Another pop music question. This time I threw an eight on it. Okay, so uh, let's see. Quentin, obviously the link. Leo Cook. Well, I know the famous British rockers, but I also know their pseudonym. I mean, their original names, like Reginald Dwight. And, uh, you know, you pick these things up when you do trivia, even though I don't actually listen to the music. I, I sort of feel like, like like a bit of a fraud in some of these things. But George's Demetrio. Let's see. Freddie Mercury's not from the UK. David Bowie. He definitely had a lot of aliases. I mean, I can tell you all, all about obscure National League players, but I can't tell you about <laughs> obscure British artists. Okay. So I'm just going to say that. David Bowie. All right. So you are going to go with David Bowie, are you? 
Yes. This is a guy who, you know, never really liked his own name. Born Quentin Leo Cook. Would later legally change his name to Norman. Norman Cook. Recorded some songs under multiple, multiple aliases. Uh, I said that the question was by uh, which pseudonym has he earned the most praise? That was by this one he got famous under, including the song Praise You. Like I should. <laughs> Fat Boy Slim. Never. Okay, so. <laughs> well, that would do it. You know, if I had asked a question about In the Mood, would you have gotten it? <laughs> nope. I'm telling you, I'm pretty uh, ignorant. I mean, I know trivia facts because I play trivia, yeah. but it's not, I don't actually listen to the stuff. So everything is just in one ear, out the other when it comes to. Well, I can't say that I was hiding the answer there, but uh, in plain sight. Anyway, uh, Wiggle Room is up next. This is our numbers category. You have uh, two and you have a six. Two, please. These are really, really out there. I noticed and very hard. Yes, indeed. The Wiggle Room's uh, a little bit of randomness into the mix, but uh, let us see what you can do. Uh, with the standard 10% wiggle room in either direction, here is your question. Manuel Uribe struggled with weight his entire life before passing away in 2014 at the age of 48. The heaviest man in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, maxed out at how many pounds? Manuel Uribe was the heaviest man in the world in 2014 when he passed away? He, he was the, the heaviest man in the world, had the record at his heaviest. How many pounds did he weigh? So I actually looked at really, really heavy people. Like I saw this uh, article about a woman who was so heavy that they had to like break down the roof of her house and pull her out with a crane or something uh, in order to get her to the hospital. And she was around 900 pounds, I think. So the heaviest man, I believe, was heavier, but not by much. I would say around like 1,100, 1,200. But at least I know that's the ballpark, I think. And I didn't look. I didn't read this article recently. It was like several years ago, so, which is around, around the right time frame. So I'm going to say 1,100 pounds. 1,100 pounds is your answer. So uh, Manuel Uribe was a Mexican man who uh, just, like you said, he was he was bedridden. Once you get to a certain weight, you're not going anywhere. He became famous in Mexico uh, after getting the world record for the for being the heaviest man in the world, and then kind of really tried his hardest to lose the weight. In one year, uh, after announcing that, uh, yeah, I have the record, but I'd, I'd really like to try and better myself, he was able to drop all the way down to 840 pounds, which is impressive given where he started uh, that year at. Unfortunately, he just kind of gave up after that, and you know, eventually his heart just gave out. But at his heaviest, according to Guinness, 1,316 pounds. If you had gone with the 1,200, you would have been in range. 1,100, a little bit out of it. Your wiggle room, 1185 through 1447. So close, but I cannot give it to you. But uh, well done for getting in, in the uh, in the ballpark there. One question left in this round and a half. It is literature. It is going to be worth six points. Are you ready? Yes. Good luck. And here we go. Each chapter of author Laura Esquivel's signature 1989 novel is introduced by an authentic Mexican recipe. Don't get angry about it, Eugene. Just give me the title. Okay. I actually thought you were about to ask the other way around. Like, what is the each chapter starting with? And I actually think I know this because I read about this. I just need to remember the name, make sure it's pinned down. But it has a reference to, I mean, since you mentioned it starts with, every single chapter starts with a recipe, uh, I believe the title has a piece of food in it. And so I believe... The novel we're talking about is Like Water for Chocolate. Like Water for Chocolate is your answer. There's a Mexican expression, which essentially translates to uh, being very angry uh, because uh, you don't have enough milk for your concoction. You have to use water, and in order for the water to melt the concoction, it has to be piping hot. So hence, piping hot, angry. Like water for chocolate is correct. Well done, sir. Six points. That's the way we head into the half. 
Uh, you had three points coming into round two. Adding the six, you're at nine points leaving round two. And we are going to move right into halftime and keep momentum going here. Here's how it's going to work. I am going to ask you a question. Then we're going to pause a little bit for a brief word from our sponsors. At least we would if I had sponsors, but I don't. So we're just going to pause to, for the cause, which is basically so people can like hit the little 15 seconds forward button like four times and then get back to the show. I know what you do, people. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> after we come back from the break, I'll uh, get your answers to this question our only partial credit question of the game and here is the question good luck saint elsewhere was an nbc drama which aired from 1982 through 1988 and a lot of harm came to patients at this fiasco of a hospital for two points each i would like you to name for me any five of the nine actors who appeared in over 100 episodes of this television show i'll give you a little bit of time to think about your answer eugene and we'll be back after the break Are you beating my guest, or is my guest beating you? Tell us all about it on Twitter or Gmail at BMGPod. If you like what you're hearing, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron at patrons.podbean.com slash beatmyguest. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Eugene Hong. And when we last left Eugene, he was sitting on nine points, working on the following halftime bonus question. St. Elsewhere, an NBC drama from 1982 through 1988. A lot of harm came to patients at this complete fiasco of a hospital. For two points each, I've asked Eugene to name for me any five of the nine actors who appeared in over 100 episodes of the series. Eugene, what have you got for me? Not a lot, I'm afraid. I didn't really follow St. Elsewhere, so... The only names that are coming up are potentially conflated with other medical dramas of the 80s and 90s. Like, I know George Clooney was in ER, so he probably wasn't been staying elsewhere, but he's a medical drama actor. Another person I associate with medical dramas for some reason is Juliana Margals. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Um, and so that's going to be one of my answers, because she's probably ER, but you never know. Could be staying elsewhere. Um, another one would probably... Let's say, I know Courtney Cox was around at that time. Why not? Courtney Cox. Okay. Who else is there? Who else? I'm just trying to think of other 80s actors that weren't in another big show at the time. And I'm drawing some blanks. Clearly not Mr. Cosby. And, <laughs> um, Ray Romano have been in this? No. I need some sort of, well, I know Johnny Depp was in some stuff, like 21 Jump Street. Why not? Johnny Depp. <laughs> so I have Margels, I have Cox, I have Depp. I need two more names because any name is better than no name. Woody, I think Woody Harrison got his big break in Cheers, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I know some TV, as you can see. It's just not the right guy. Oh, I wonder if Laurie Metcalf, she's been around a while, better than nothing. I'm going to say Laurie Metcalf. And then, uh, let's see, oh, what's her name? Angie Harmon. Has she have done this? I mean, these are all really, really, really big long shots we're talking here. Um, sure, what the heck? I'm not going to pull on the agony. Angie Harmon's my pilot. Okay. Very good. Uh, certainly, I mean, Johnny Depp was not on NBC. Laurie Metcalf was on ABC. But, you know, these were all, like you said, they, they have some TV experience, certainly all these. And uh, I'm not going to fault you for picking a, a, a giant movie star like Johnny Depp because, you know, sometimes people go from TV shows and into uh, later success in the movies. Uh, I am going to read off uh, the answers from lowest to highest. Uh, but first, I'm going to say it's pronounced Margulies, Juliana Margulies. Uh, at 121 episodes, Ed Flanders, not to be confused with Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, uh, Ed Flanders, uh, at 128 episodes, uh, he played Luther, the uh, orderly, Eric Laneville, he's gone on to uh, direct a lot of episodes of television, 132 episodes, Norman Lloyd played Dr. Auschlander, and then we have the big six who appeared in every single episode of the series, we have David Morse, who would go on to movies, he was in The Green Mile, he was in uh, 12 Monkeys, Always, he's that guy who's always like the bad guy, he actually was not the bad guy in this, because he was the uh, doctor with a heart of gold, we also had Christina Pickles, we had William Daniels, who made the news recently uh, as uh, stopping a guy from breaking into his house at the age of 81. Uh, well done, Mr. Boy Feeney. Meets world. 
Yeah, Mr. Feeney from Boy Beats World, the voice of Kit from uh, Knight Rider. William Daniels played Dr. Mark Craig. Uh, we also had Ed Begley Jr. as Victor Ehrlich. Yeah, I know uh, Ed Begley from I know Ed Begley from Twelve Angry Men. I don't didn't know about his son. Uh, yeah, his his son is uh, also an actor. Uh, he's in with the uh, Christopher Guest uh, kind of uh, comedy uh, improviser troupe that do the movies. He he kind of tagged on there and has been in a few of those. Uh, and then the two. Probably, I mean, people know who William Daniels is from Boy Beats World, but I think the two biggest names to come out of uh, Say It Elsewhere were stand-up comedian turned judge on uh, America's Got Talent, Howie Mandel. And uh, like I said, uh, no harm in starting small and making your leap to the film. One of the greatest actors of all time, uh, at least in terms of Julia Roberts' opinion, because she doesn't want to live in a world where Denzel Washington is not an Academy Award winner. Denzel Washington. I clearly never watched it. So we're paying attention to it. So uh, it, it is streamable now, and it's a very, very good series. Although there are 137 episodes, so you know what you're getting into. <laughs> well, you did not get any. I will say though, uh, for those of you out there who were familiar with the series, Stephen First, who played Flounder in Animal House, uh, 97 episodes, just missed out on the list. And uh, it would have been really, really uh, painful uh, if this had been a correct answer. Uh, you said Angie Harmon, one of the early. Uh, Reasons that the show was made was uh, NCIS's own Mark Harmon uh, was on the show for the first few seasons, but uh, his character died of AIDS after 64 episodes. So he was uh, also just short, but it would have been real kick in the head if you had said Harmon and gotten it wrong because of uh, saying Angie as well. <laughs> Never yeah. use the first names, people. Nine points going in, nine points coming out, but uh, plenty of time left. To, I mean, you're on the precipice of double digits, so hopefully we can get there. Are you ready for round three, sir? Yes. All right, let's keep this ball rolling. Around three, the point value is two, four, six, and eight once again. But the categories, they're going to be a little different. We're going to kick things off with Pop Goes the Blank, follow it up with Mashup, move along to That Happened, and we're going to wrap up round three with Television. So Pop Goes the Blank is up first, two, four, six, or eight. Why don't I keep the ball rolling, and let's go Pop Goes the Blank for four points. All right, four points, Pop Goes the Blank. Good luck. Here is your question. Complete the following lament. Sung to Flounder. I've got who's its and what's its galore. You want thingamabobs? I've got blank. So the Flounder. Oh, 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 I see. This is Little Mermaid. Okay. Flounder is the sidekick in the Little Mermaid, and Ariel is singing. This is the from the song. Okay, so I have a four-year-old girl. And I watched Little Mermaid somewhat recently, but not at infinitum like she does with Frozen. So, um, unfortunately, so I know the song. If you had asked me which song it was, I could probably say that. But I think I know the singer, too. It's like Jody Benson, who does the voice for Ariel. Unfortunately, I didn't study the lyrics that much, although I remember this specific lyric. I mean, I mean, I remember it being in the song. I obviously don't get words. Well, the obvious rhyme to complete this is more, but that seems a little prosaic. Let's see. What else rhymes with galore? Four. Oh, it could be four. <laughs> I really can't think of much else besides four and more. And I actually think it's four. Like she can wave like four actual thingamabobs on the screen during the singing. So that would be cool to see. And more unusual than more, I think. All right, I'm going to go with four. Four is your answer on a four-point question. Well, Eugene, you have uh, just become a questionary tale for all future guests of the hot seat. Mm. I am almost never going to give you a straight rhyme. Ah. I have given you the last half of one couplet and the first line of the second couplet. The complete lyric is, I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's it's and what's it's galore. You want thingamabobs? I've got 20. Ah. 20 is the answer, but who cares? No big deal. I've got more questions. Uh, but, you know, you were all over it. You recognize the song. I mean, that's, uh, like I said, if I gave points for half the battle, <laughs> you know. You don't fret. Yeah. Don't fret. Don't despair. Uh, we're going to move along here. Uh, grab your dingle hopper, comb your hair, and uh, we're going to move along to mashup. Uh, two, six, or eight points, sir. Uh, let's try eight. Here is your eight-point mashup question. This Tony Award winner wrote a musical about America's first subcompact automobile, produced from 1970 through 1978, and driven by both Bill Clinton and George W. Bush in their youth, but not by George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. 
Now, why would you mention George Washington and Thomas Jefferson? That's a clue. Eugene has learned I always choose my words carefully. A little slow sometimes, but I get there, I guess. (laughs) All right. So George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were both Virginians. So I'm thinking something like Ford Pinto, Chrysler. Uh, Not really a car guy. Let's see. (laughs) Two modern presidents drove this car. Two ancient presidents did not. Why these two? Well, Mel Brooks has won a Tony. He wrote musicals. But that's not going to get me to Lin Manuel Miranda. Obviously, made the musical. Who else do I know actually wrote the musical? Stephen Sondheim. This is not looking good. Okay, so <laughs> what are you trying to get at here, AJ? What are you trying? What are you trying? Hmm. To get at? <laughs> Let's go with. Oh, what the heck. Charlie Ford. <laughs> okay, Charlie Ford Pinto. There you go. Charlie Ford Pinto. I admire your uh, stick to your uh, your desire to get it right. The thing with these mashups is always that it, it, once you hear the right answer, there's no other answer it could possibly be. And until you, you, you land on it, you just you, you feel it. Like, I, I, just give me one more second. Uh, so the, you were looking for a link from the previous question, perhaps. It's very subtle. Certainly, my, my stream of consciousness sometimes makes a sharp right. So uh, Ariel sings about gadgets and gizmos. Uh, gizmo, to me, always brings up the mind of uh, Gizmo the Mogwai. So we are looking for America's first subcompact automobile, the AMC Gremlin Manuel Miranda. Oh! So yeah, uh, that's why George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were the names I picked, because they're both characters that appear in Hamilton. Right. Gremlin Manuel Miranda. Two questions left in the round. Two points, six points. That happened. Six points. Good luck. And here we go. Don Swartz was arrested in November of 2018 for multiple driving violations in Pasco County, Florida, including speeding, unruly behavior, driving while barefoot, and having no doors on his vehicle. Who was Mr. Swartz dressed up as at the time of his arrest? Okay, so this is news of the weird. Uh, And unfortunately, I don't read it as often as as I used to. So he was dressed up as somebody. He was caught speeding. Uh, with no doors. Okay, the obvious answer is someone like Donald Trump, who's very famous. Um, who else would he be making fun of or dressed up as? Florida just had an election, very controversial. I can name all the candidates in the major elections there, but I don't think that would be as interesting. It could be something like Mickey Mouse. So maybe it could be something like Batman or, yeah, like a costume. Oh, let's see, one week, no. Not close enough to Halloween. Yeah, this is one of those, you either know it, you don't. I'm like, having trouble figuring out <laughs> how to get there. Driving while barefoot. That's a pretty big clue. The only thing I know is Mickey Mouse just has feet. So uh, <laughs> he's not someone you would dress up as. This barefoot thing is really making me wonder, like Tarzan? <laughs> That's not very popular you could dress up as. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's a critic. Fred Flintstone. Okay. Um, who else is barefoot? This one is, I feel like I could probably do it if I had like six hours, but I don't want to spend that much time on it. So Elvis, of course, is like another quote obvious answer. Well, <laughs> when in doubt, go Elvis. I'll say Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is your answer. Certainly a lot of people uh, still to this day like to dress up as Elvis, uh, much like the lead singer of Doctor and the Medics, who did so when he was singing Burning Love. But uh, hey, I can call anything back from anywhere. Ha ha ha, look at me. Uh, <laughs> you are correct in that the charges were very important to this. The link from the previous question was just we're talking about a car, a, a unique looking car. This driver had taken the doors off of his car. He had wrapped it in some sort of... Uh, brown paper to make it kind of look tannish and old and perhaps even one might say stone age (laughs) you had said it sir the most famous barefoot driver the only thing that was missing was a rack of dinosaur ribs on the roof fred flintstone was the answer sir all right well at least i mentioned it this time you had it it. (laughs) well uh, i don't know what we're going to yabba dabba do except move on to the next question television two points are you ready sir sure okay Here's your two-point television question. Weirdly, Creepella, Gobby, and Uncle Ghastly move next door to the Flintstones 
in the show's fifth season. What was the last name of this clan of kooks? Yeah, this is a really funny time. I knew there was something called the Great Gazoo, and he came in late. I remember reading a trivia question about this a long, long time ago, but it was too long, and I'm not really into that sort of thing, so I don't remember it. So I'm not going to prolong this one, because if this is just a... This is very clearly... Either you know it or you don't, and I don't. So sure. I would say the Gazoos. The Gazoos is your answer. Uh, well, you certainly are correct that the Great Gazoo was a uh, character on the Flintstones, but he was by himself, the Great Gazoo. <laughs> dumb dumb uh, <laughs> uh this was a family that you know much like the flintstones themselves were whether intentional or not I, it's hard to believe it wasn't intentional although the, the creators always say it was a happy accident really they're the honeymooners just in animated form so when they added uh neighbors they kind of took a little bit from the adams family and put an adams family looking cartoon family next door uh with weirdly and creepella Gobby, which was short for Goblin, and Uncle Ghastly. They were the Gruesomes. Okay. I, the I'm gruesomes. pretty sure I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be able to pull that out. I knew because it wasn't right, but it at least was in the ballpark. But, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. is not to be confused, folks, with the Creeplies, who were on uh, the Laugh Olympics show uh, on the team, the Really Rottens, which were essentially the same family, but reimagined as the Creeplies and not the Gruesomes. So different family. Gruesomes on the Flintstones, Creeplies on the Laugh Olympics. Okay. I'm, sh- I'm sure there were a lot of people out there who were just, you know, saying, no, it's not. It's the Creeplies. <laughs> Pet octopus, I believe. So, all right. Round four is here. You did not get any points in round three, but, we, you know, double digits. I can feel it's coming. The highest scoring round is round four. Three, five, seven, and nine. Here are the categories we're going to be using for this round. We're going to kick things off with movies. Follow it up around the world. Move along to analogies, and we are going to wrap up this game with history. Movies is up first. Eugene, three, five, seven, or nine. I like most of these categories. Let's start with this movies uh, three. Three points on movies. Good luck, and here we go. Mackenzie Aston, son of John Aston of Adam's Family fame, starred in a 1987 movie that he calls such a stinker and such a clunker. Which should not be surprising, as he co-starred with characters named Valerie Vomit and Greaser Greg. What movie are we talking about? Mackenzie Aston co-starred with Valerie Vomit, Greaser Greg, in a movie. Yes. Ooh. Uh, and he was the star. Yes. Let's see. Wow, I wish I had known about this movie when I was growing up. My sister's name is Valerie. <laughs> that would have been a fun uh, thing to call her. So therefore, I've never really seen this movie. Else, I would have definitely my twelve-year-old brain probably would have latched onto it and used it to make fun of her. So, this is the son of John Aston. I know Sean Aston, obviously. That would be uh, Mackenzie's brother. Yes. Okay. Well, I know Heather's was around at that time, but Heather's is about girls. Um, let's see. I think. Okay, <laughs> nineteen eighty-seven actually pins it very well. Let's see. Where could it be? What could it be? It's not a fast time at Richmond High. I don't think I'm going to get this one. That's okay. I'm going to put three points on it. Uh, let's say uh, I have no real, I have no strong feeling. I'm just going to go with, uh, so yeah, Days and Confused. Dazed and Confused is your answer. Very aware that Mackenzie uh, has a brother, Sean, who is a lot more famous, certainly having appeared in uh, Rudy and, uh, of course, those, those small little films that Peter Jackson did about uh, the Tolkien book. I don't know if anyone saw those. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, New Zealand art films, right? Or... Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and, and Sean Astin had also appeared in The Goonies, and Mackenzie was really jealous of his brother's success, and he had been working on Facts of Life, and uh, he was offered an opportunity during uh, the hiatus of the TV show to uh, star in this movie based on one of the hottest trends sweeping the nation. These were these trading cards uh, that were making fun of the Cabbage Patch Kids, and they were called the Garbage Pail Kids. Ah. And they made a movie about it. So Mackenzie Aston starred as Dodger in one of the worst movies ever made, the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Around the World is next. You have a five, you have a seven, you have a nine. Uh, let's go seven. Seven points for Around the World. Good luck. Here is your question. Producing garbage at a rate of 5.72 kilograms per capita per day and without any landfills to speak of. What nation is considered by the World Bank as the number one waste producing nation on Earth? All right. Well, 
there's, I guess I have a one in 200 shot, roughly. So, uh, let's see. Obviously, the United States is a top candidate. Uh, China is obviously another top candidate. India, of course. Is it, wait, is it most by volume or most, most by per capita? Per capita per day. Well, that's slightly different then. Um, so that, that leads me to think about Singapore, uh, which is a city-state, which is very wealthy and... You know, doesn't have any non-waste producers. Well, my son usually produces five kilograms of waste a day. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Yeah, noise pollution doesn't count, right? <laughs> uh, okay, why don't we go to Singapore? Singapore, uh, certainly a uh, fine answer. Although Singapore, just based on the the history of knowing that people get caned for uh, sticking a piece of chewing gum on, on things, uh, they seem. Just my impression is that it's probably a very clean, clean country. Doesn't mean they don't produce waste, but at least they, they throw it out. Uh, yeah, a lot of the countries on this list are actually Caribbean nations who are very clean themselves, but uh, most of the waste is produced by tourists. So number three on the list, St. Kitts and Nevis. Number two on the list, Antigua and Barbuda. But the number one waste-producing nation is Kuwait. Okay. I mean, it's something that's interesting, but it's not, I don't know if I could have reasoned it out, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes right. the questions are just there. Sure. <laughs> Mostly uh, as a result of the oil production and that they don't have a lot of people there. So you combine those two factors and they ah. produce the waste and the, the people just, uh, you know, make that number a little bit higher than it should be. Okay, that makes sense. All right, two questions left. Uh, we have, let's see, we have five. And we have nine points available to you. Analogies is up next. Would you like the five or would you like the nine? Well, let's go five. Five points. Good luck. Here is your five-point analogy. Upper Volta is to Burkina Faso as Swaziland is to what? I'm pretty good at geography. Upper Volta is the former name of Burkina Faso. Uh... It was became Burkina Faso, I think, sometime in the '60s or something, or '70s, or actually maybe even the '80s. Um, but whatever, it's an African country. It used to be called Upper Volta, and now it's called Burkina Faso. And I think the the capital is a pretty cool capital name. It's like Ouagadougou or something like that. But the analogy is Swaziland, and the king of Swaziland just ordered the name to be changed. And I actually remember this because it's my job to know these things as a trivia person. So, <laughs> so the answer is very cool, Eswatini. Eswatini. Eswatini is your answer. So yes, uh, Upper Volta, one time name of Burkina Faso. In April of this year, King Mswati III announced the name change. Uh, it was the 50th anniversary of the country's independence. And he says, I'm just so darn tired of being confused with Switzerland. I'm not sure who was confusing uh, Swaziland with Switzerland, really. But uh, Eswatini sounds like uh, some sort of shady auction company on the internet. But nevertheless, Eswatini is correct. Five points. Well done. Eswatini. Finally doubled it. Okay. <laughs> your fans are screaming. <laughs> they love your answer so much. All right. One question left. Nine points. It is in history. Are you ready, sir? Yes. Switzerland's official Latin name can be traced back to Iron Age settlers of Celtic origin. It was called the Confederatio what? Now, don't be afraid to typecast your answer. Yes. Okay. I think I know this. So the clue here is, of course, typecast. And um, you're referring to the font. In particular, the Helvetica font, because Sweden, Switzerland in Latin was Helvetica, just like I believe Ireland was something like Hibernia. And so the Confederation Helvetica, I think, is what you're going for. So I will make that my answer. Helvetica. Helvetica is your answer. Typeface, this font uh, was formerly known as the Nuhas Grotesque, not the Nuhas Gruesomes. I, you know, I think they just used some sort of. Uh, hieroglyphs uh, that they sketched into the stone. Helvetica is correct, sir. You got it right. Nine points? <laughs> a total of 40 points in your last two questions. We're going to add that to the nine you had coming into round four, which means as we head into the confidence question, you have 23 points. Very respectable. Nice, nice comeback at the end. 
Here's how this is going to work. Uh, this is your last chance to try and improve your final score. Only one question is going to be before you, Eugene. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category. You must wager between 1 and 10 points. Get it right. I will add it to your score. But get it wrong. Normally, I insert a clever punishment here. But uh, you're being punished enough by recording this episode. So <laughs> let's get on with it. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in a category I'm calling Harm is Done? Harm is done. Yes, I'm, I'm, I know there's a lot of harm being done to him. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, he's just not happy because his mom left. Oh, let's go, let's make it quick. Let's make it uh, three points. Three points. That, three now we have twenty points. no matter what, and twenty six, which is I believe slightly below average. If I get it right. So absolutely. All right, three points. Right. Good luck. Here is your question. According to who? And I don't mean answer who. According to the World Health Organization, aka who? Uh, the most harmful bacteria that can wreak the most havoc on human life are likeliest to be found in what specific kind of location? The most harmful bacteria are most likely to be found on what specific sort of location? Correct. Um, I think uh, I was reading about this. Something I was reading something about this, about bacteria, where it could be. Like, uh, the reason that people are very fastidious about cleaning up in the bathroom and then leaving the bathroom and are like the door handles were actually pretty well, I'm not sure uh, oh, there's also, oh there's also a bit about the keyboards like computer keyboards are have a lot of pretty nasty bacteria the door handles might be bad of the bathroom but I don't remember I remember the keyboard is pretty bad most harmful bacteria um yeah he's not helping <laughs> okay so uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most keyboards are pretty disgusting. Well, all right, then I would just go computer keyboard. Computer keyboard is your answer. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you're correct in that uh, a lot of bacteria is found on computer keyboards, uh, bathroom handles, sinks, uh, certainly in a public toilet, the kitchen, the countertop. I mean, these are all places, doorknobs, just doorknobs in general. That's bacteria. However, we're talking about the most harmful bacteria. The bacteria that has become immune to any antibiotics because of overexposure. And the answer we are looking for, the place where uh, scientists are really terrified that these superbugs are just breeding nonstop, hospital recovery rooms. Oh, okay. Most yeah, people will get infections in hospital stays. No, actually, I sort of knew that, but I didn't think of it. Yes. Okay. That's a good question. Well, I cannot give you the three points, but uh, 20, still a decent score. Uh, certainly far more than you probably thought you were going to get uh, at halftime when things were looking kind of sh uh, shaky there. Uh, you were not immune to the dangers of the hot seat, but uh, I hope you had a good time, the uh, parental anxiety notwithstanding. <laughs> yes. I, I had a good time. I'm pretty sure Arthur did. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> well, put on that Little Mermaid and watch it a few times and uh, <laughs> sing <Yes>. song. <laughs> you know the words. Oh, wait. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, Eugene. Is there anything you'd like to say before I kick you out? Uh, no, it was a great pleasure actually meeting you. Actually, I've read your work as a big fantasy baseball person, and I remember reading a bit, bit about this being Mr. Met, and uh, it's just nice <laughs> to meet you and talk to you. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eugene. Uh, you may now leave the hot seat. Thank you for so much for playing, and thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another quieter, brand new episode. <laughs> Take care. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Goodbye. Bye. Did you beat our guest, or did our guest beat you? Tell us all about it on Twitter, at BMGPod, or email us, bmgpod at gmail.com. Also, please review and rate us on iTunes, and if you liked what you heard, spread the word. This has absolutely not been a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production.